Hello and welcome. My name is Ethan. I work with the Vanish Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. We're so glad that you've taken out some time to join us in exploring some spiritual things. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul provides a famous commandment to pray without ceasing. And most Christians know that they've been told to pray, that they need to pray. We talk about prayer and have prayers. But why? Why do we pray? Why do we have prayer? What's going on with prayer? Why do we pray? Why do we pray what we pray when we pray it? These are good questions for us to explore, because a lot of times, uh, with prayer especially, we, it's very easy to start assuming that everybody understands what everybody else already intuitively knows, and to move on, when in fact sometimes it's good to clarify and explain. What is the logic of prayer? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we talk about what prayer is. It's very important to root any understanding of what prayer is in terms of what is revealed in Scripture. In Romans chapter 1 and in verse 10, Paul declares that uh, he, without ceasing, makes mention of you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So right there he's asking God something. He's asking for something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 14, Paul encourages the Christians in Corinth, saying, uh, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, and my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how could anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So what he's talking about there is he's talking about prayer, talking about giving of thanks. And so there he shows how prayers involves giving thanks. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, uh, prayer is understood in terms of letting requests be made known to God. So we see elements of prayer that involve asking God, making requests be known to God, thanking God. This is what's going on with prayer, that it's a communication with God, a time to ask Him for our necessities, and for the needs of others, to thank God for the blessings that he's given us. And, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7, that we're to cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. It does a way that we can talk with God and communicate our difficulties and challenges. So that's what prayer is. So when do we do it? We understand that 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, Pray without ceasing. And in many times this verse is taken to mean that prayer somehow is supposed to be this continual 24-7, 365 type of behavior. It's not necessarily, though, what Paul is talking about. To pray without ceasing involves that we don't stop praying. That we, and not in terms of a continual, but as a repeated exercise. Paul expects prayer to be something that is repeated constantly that you do it over and over and over again, that we get ourselves into the habit of praying, that we pray consistently, and that we do not cease the practice of prayer. Now, how often is consistently? Well, interestingly, there's no specific definition of without ceasing give. But we can see throughout Scripture 
that the Jesus, the apostles, and early Christians were in prayer constantly. Jesus in Luke 5.16, in Acts 1 and verse 14, the uh, disciples before Pentecost, in Acts 2.42, the disciples devoted themselves to prayer, uh, Acts 3.1, Peter and John went up to pray, uh, we see them praying in 4.31, in chapter 6, they say that they should not give up uh, the prayer and the ministry of the word to wait tables. Uh, likewise, in chapter 12, in terms of Peter's imprisonment, chapter 13, uh, chapter 14, chapter 16, many of the places. And they pray when they're together, they pray when they're apart, they pray in different circumstances, they give thanks, they give reasons to pray in all circumstances, as Paul would have them do in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 18. So we are to pray often, uh, probably frequently even in a given day. And there are probably other opportunities that we could find to pray more in our lives. We also need to recognize that when, when we pray, also there are a lot of circumstances that are involved. And therefore, different types of prayer will be involved at different times. And when we're in different places or in different contexts, we have different types of conversations. Uh, public and private conversations, for instance, tend to be very different in terms of intimacy and depth. We say different things based upon different circumstances, uh, not, not necessarily because we're being deceptive, not because we're trying to uh, deceive somebody or trying to say one thing at one time and something different at another in, in some kind of nefarious way. Instead, we recognize that prayer is not going to be the same in every instance. Uh, we understand the idea of private prayer. Uh, private prayer is the prayer done in the closet, so to speak, in Matthew 6 and verse 6. It's between the one praying and God and nobody else. It represents the most intimate conversation between a believer and his God. It is a place, according to 1 John 1 and verse 9, that we could confess uh, our sins so that we can be forgiven of them. It's where we would cast our care and anxieties upon God in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. We could give God thanks for all things in 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 through 18. In Matthew 6.11, it petitions for our personal needs. Uh, in Colossians 1.3 and 4.3, we can see the petitions for the needs of others. Paul is praying for them and, 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 and requests prayer frequently. And in Luke 21.36, James 1 and verse 5, requests for wisdom and strength in prayer and things of that nature. And there's lots of different times and situations we might think about having a private prayer. In the morning and the evening, to begin or end the day, before a stressful situation, for safety before or during travel, as a response to news, if eating alone before a meal, and things of that nature. And so we'd have prayers appropriate to those circumstances. And there's sometimes prayers that are had in public. And that's important to note. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, when Jesus provides the, uh, a discussion about prayer and warnings about prayer, a lot of times people have taken the, what he says here and takes it a bit far. This is what he says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is not trying to say any and all prayer on public is wrong. Uh, Jesus himself will pray in John 12, uh, in John 17, um, in, in situations where at least his disciples and often other Israelites are around. The apostles will pray amongst each other, with it, among each other, 
in, in, in groups larger than one, so to speak. Uh, and of course, we saw in First Corinthians 14 that there is praying in the assembly. So, what's going on here is not necessarily uh, a denunciation of all public prayer. The problem is when somebody is praying for show or pretense, when they're praying to be seen by people, that others will think that they are so pious because of how they're praying. And that's obviously a big danger in any kind of public prayer. But, nevertheless, it does not mean that we just abandon public prayer. Now, public prayer will tend to involve one man who is speaking the prayer. We get this in 1 Timothy 2, 8 and 12, where Paul encourages Timothy to exhort that men uh, lift up holy hands in prayer in all places, uh, that women should not be uh, teaching or, or, or exercising authority over a man. And so the idea of a public prayer is when one man is speaking the prayer and everybody else is participating in the prayer, directing their minds to God by the word of the prayer. And as we saw in our earlier reading, 1 Corinthians 14, 16, with the saying of Amen, that the prayer is completed with Amen. And Amen is a, an Aramaic word, uh, meaning so be it. And so we can see that even in the early uh, Christian period, uh, it's, a, it's an Aramaic word, but it's being used in an assembly of mostly Greek-speaking Gentiles uh, as an affirmation of prayer. So it's already kind of taken on that use that we see even to this day. Where when you're saying Amen, you're affirming the prayer. When you're affirming the prayer, you're saying that even though you didn't say the words of that prayer, that you are sentencing the meaning of that prayer, and that it is, it is as if you had prayed it uh, in your own words yourself. And uh, thus, prayers of that nature should be designed not just to thank God and make requests for the needs of some or all of the group, like we can see in 1 Corinthians 14 there. But also, as Paul will go on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and in verse 26, about the things going on in uh, those assemblies, that uh, all things should be done for building up. So the prayer should be designed to build up those who participate in it. And there's lots of different contexts for public prayer. Uh, in the assembly, the prayer of thanksgiving for the functions of the assembly for the needs of those within it. A shared meal, like in Matthew 26, 26. A prayer of thanksgiving and blessing of food. You may have a, a public prayer to invoke the invocation for meeting or some other function. Uh, perhaps family prayer with and without children or for strengthening of family, like in Ephesians 5 and 6. And other similar situations could be discussed. In all these types of situations and prayers, thanksgiving should be offered and petitions made to God. As we can see from Philippians 4.6 and 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and 18, the content, though, is going to vary based upon the situation. So prayer has its logic to it. And the logic of prayer is that it's communication. And a lot of times people get all messed up when it comes to how that works. They get too formal or not formal enough. They uh, they think that they they don't necessarily recognize the distinctions in prayer. Sometimes a lot of different things go on with people when it comes to prayer. But it's just communication with God. Yes, God is greater than we are, holy and mighty, but he also wants to hear from us in an intimate relationship. And so we both balance those those ideas and, and, and really let God know what's on our heart. God already knows it already before we ask, as Jesus says in Matthew 6. So we do well just to go ahead and let him know about it. But prayer is not this kind of monoculture. It's not something that's only going to look one way in, in every circumstance. You're going to have different prayers at different times for different reasons. 
and, and that's an important part of it. It's like communication in general. You have different types of communications at different times for different reasons. And, and so there's there's things that are in public. There's things that are in private. The things that are in public should stay public. The things that are in private can be private. Uh, you, bringing out private things in public prayer can be a difficulty. Uh, and there's a lot of things we need to be worried about with prayer, especially in public prayers, turning prayers into gossip sessions. Uh or trying to use prayer requests as a way of furthering gossip, uh, revealing so much as to cause disturbance and concern among other Christians, uh, which can happen in the context of prayers and for asking for forgiveness and things of that nature. And also just the awkwardness of a person being in a prayer where they may not feel like they can assent to everything being said or feel uncomfortable with how personal it is in light of the fact that it's a corporate prayer being done on behalf of the whole collective. And so there's a lot going on in prayer. It's very important to maintain a good attitude and disposition in prayer. And that we make thanksgiving and requests preeminent. Because that's what prayer is about, thanksgiving and requests. And, we, and thanksgiving is of great importance because as we're praying thanksgiving, we're being reminded of who God is, what he has done for us already. Giving us confidence that what we're asking can be accomplished and will be accomplished. But also to ward, warn us against very uh, easy trap to fall into, which is to forget God's loving kindness as it's been reflected in the past and to um, maybe doubt that God is there, God's goodness for us. And so that's why we do well to devote ourselves to prayer, to thank God for blessings, to be continually in communication with Him. We're thankful that you've joined us today. We hope that you've been encouraged by our conversation here about the logic of prayer. If you have any questions or comments, you'd like to talk more about this or another subject, like to learn more how to become a Christian, maybe you just have a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, let me know. Contact me through my website, deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. And if you'd like to learn more about the Venice Church of Christ, we're online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org and on Facebook, Instagram, Meetup, Twitter, many social media aspe- outlets like that as Venice Church of Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.